lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. 888-933-93 is the number if you would like to join us. 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample and share with others, go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Today in the overtime, uh, exclusively for our Blaze TV subscribers, Rich Lowry over at the National Review has written a piece in Politico defending the lockdowns. We are going to go through that piece Word for word, share it with you, and then provide our response coming up in the overtime. Now, I've not read this piece yet on purpose, okay? So I am going to react to this live and in real time alongside you as I go through this a little bit later today. If you want to make sure you do not miss that conversation, make sure you go to blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. And if you use the promo code Steve, you'll get the cheapest subscription we've ever offered to Blaze TV ever. It's only about $5 and change a month. I've got to believe we're worth at least that. If not, is somebody here worth $5 and change a month? Not to mention, we need a platform like Blaze TV right now more than ever before with all, it's not even fake news now. now it's just enemy news now. Just enemy news. All right, so blazetv.com slash dace, promo code Steve. That's blazetv.com slash dace, promo code Steve. And if you are a Blaze TV subscriber, good news for you. Just be patient. It'll be posted there for you later on this afternoon. We got a jam-packed show here today. We're going to have a rare guest for Theology Thursday coming up at the bottom of the hour. Ann Corey is going to join us. She is the daughter of uh, the late, great Phyllis Schlafly, and she wants to take issue with how a new movie is set to... Uh, I guess, portray her mother uh, with the actress Kate Blanchett. And since her mom was was maybe the the first in modern American political history to do what we try to to emulate and and an example we try to follow on this show every day and that's a fusing of the theological with the cultural and the political it only seemed right to set our own series for Theology Thursday aside for one week and uh, clear that space for the legacy of the late great Phyllis Schlafly. Also, the Speaker of the House of the Michigan State House of Representatives is going to join us next hour as well to talk about what's going on in his state with the protests there that ended up being far bigger than than my understanding the organizers were even anticipating on what was not a good day in the state of Michigan yesterday with snow, cold, wet rain it looked much more like late november than mid-april so we're going to talk about whether or not that state is going to be ground zero of the battle to reopen america and then we'll close with three non-political questions but before we get there here's aaron's rundown of what happened while you were in lockdown And of course, my computer is completely non-responsive right now. Put together a seven-minute montage for you today, filled with all types of good stuff. And of course, my computer is not responding. So I'm going to try this one more time, 
and and say a prayer for the computer. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by protests. Downtown Lansing, Michigan was brought to a standstill yesterday as thousands of protesters swarmed Michigan's state capitol in protest of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's new draconian laws purportedly to slow the spread of the Wuhan coronavirus. Governor Whitmer's newest guidelines included not allowing Michigan residents to visit other private residences and banning the sale of gardening supplies like seeds and fertilizer. Governor Whitmer, your thoughts? So we just had snow. I've got snow on the ground here in Michigan right now in Lansing. We're expecting you know, up to 30 inches in the Upper Peninsula. The fact that we're cracking down on people traveling between homes or planting or um, landscaping or golfing really for a couple more weeks isn't going to meaningfully impact people's ability to do it because the snow will do that in and of itself. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy had this exchange with Tucker Carlson. So um, you made that decision and as I noted before 15 congregants at a synagogue in New Jersey were arrested and charged for being in a synagogue together. Now the Bill of Rights, as you well know, protects Americans' right enshrines their right to practice their religion as they see fit and to congregate together to assemble peacefully. By what authority did you nullify the Bill of Rights in issuing this order? How do you have the power yeah, to we do were- that? That's above my pay grade, Tucker. So I wasn't uh, I wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights when we did this. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo made this announcement yesterday. In a situation in public where you may come into contact with other people in a situation that is not socially distanced, you must have a mask or a cloth covering nose and mouth. That is by executive order. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced yesterday his state is planning to cut checks ranging from $500 to $1,000 for illegal aliens living in the state. Jobless claims shot up by another $5.2 million last week. That brings the total number of new jobless claims since the shutdowns began at over $22 million. A bombshell scoop from Brett Baer at Fox News indicates the intelligence community is growing in its confidence that the the Wuhan coronavirus originated from a Chinese government lab in Wuhan, not as a biological weapon, but as sheer incompetence. President Trump was asked about this development during yesterday's news conference. That while the coronavirus is a naturally occurring virus, it emanated from a virology lab in Wuhan. That because of lack safety protocols, an intern was infected who later infected her boyfriend and then went to the wet market in Wuhan where it began to spread. Does that correspond with what you have heard from Well, officials? I don't want to say that, John, but I will tell you uh, more and more we're hearing the story. And we'll see when you say multiple sources. Now, there's a case where you can use the word sources, but uh, we are doing a very thorough examination of this horrible situation that happened. Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, your thoughts? And the reason that we're in the crisis that we are today um, is not because of anything that China did. It's not because of anything the WHO did. It's because of what this president did. The Fox News scoop about the virus's origins followed another report that Chinese leaders, including President Xi Jinping, concluded in a private meeting on January 14th 
that they were dealing with a likely pandemic, but said nothing publicly to the world until January 20th. LGBTQ Nation tweets, if HIV was God's punishment for gays, then coronavirus is God's punishment for Christians. Not to worry, though, Dr. Anthony Fauci said in an interview yesterday that the youths can start hooking up again if they're willing to take a risk. Speaking of the youths, rapper Cardi B interviewed Bernie Sanders yesterday and let him know her displeasure with him selling out. I heard that you are endorsing now Joe Biden and... You know, we're really not in the matrix. It's either Joe Biden or Trump. And one thing is, you know, a lot of people like like the youth, they don't really they don't really rock with Joe Biden because he's conservative. But the thing is that, like, you know, I think Obama, right? I think Obama did like a smart move where he picked Joe Biden as his vice as his vice president because that's how he got the conservative vote. And just because there's so many people that are liberal like me and are a little bit more open with things a lot of these states are not so i think that that's why you know obama had biden as vice president and now he's endorsing him and we're very excited to um to see that i'm very excited learning chinese today today's phrase is there's a lot going on there joe biden your thoughts i sat with a guy yesterday on on a telephone and he's telling me, he said, I don't know. He said, look, I, 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 I worked at the hospital. And he said, then I, I got I got myself in a position where I got the virus. So they quarantined me and, and they put me in the hospital and I made it out. And so I'm out. But they don't want me with my family. I'm on the third floor. I spent 15 minutes on the phone with them saying, he said, I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old. And they come to the door outside and they just knock on the door and say, daddy, daddy, can I see you, daddy? Can I see you, daddy? So we spent time going through it i used to do with my kids when they were little and i couldn't see them and we'd play games i said knock make up a game knock knock on the door and say this is you know practical things the guy's scared to death and finally comedian tim dillon explains how celebrities are dealing with the pandemic i'm in a prison we're all in prison this is the great equalizer okay this has flattened everybody we flattened everyone we're the same now we all bleed red blood I am not going anywhere. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's very, very tough. I'm not having anybody over. You know, I have to clean everything myself. I'm enjoying making my own food. Your nourishment is spiritual. The earth will provide. Stop worrying about money and food and all these ridiculous things. Baptize yourself. We lost. Throw in the towel. Nature fought back and won. So just... Chill. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Rough Greens Vita Smart, which uh, is our dog Cap's latest obsession. We put it with his food every single day and he loves it. Now it doesn't replace his food, just makes the food that he has better uh, because it puts back into his diet all of the things that uh, the, the food that we buy at the store has pretty much taken out. So it can be mass produced and then have a long shelf life. Same thing happens to their food that happens to ours. Why are we taking so many supplements today? Because that stuff's been taken out of our food for the same reasons 
that's the same problem our pets have as well. And Rough Greens VitaSmart wants to put all those probiotics, enzymes, vitamins, and healthy microbacteria, all those living organisms that your pet needs, put it right back into his diet. If you want to give it a shot and get with uh, with your dog and see if it works as well for your dog as uh, it did for our dog, Cap, who apparently thinks it tastes great because he woofs it down every single day, uh, you can take the Rough Greens 14-Day Jumpstart Challenge with your pet right now for $14.95. When you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze, that's R-U ff for rough greens that's how it's spelled roughgreens.com slash blaze that's roughgreens.com slash blaze i i i cannot forgive you for the cardi b video i i i now i wish your computer would not have unfroze yeah i, yeah. I mean I, I i it was uncomfortable after five seconds and then it went on for five minutes yes yeah yeah it uh Wow. The the youths don't really rock with Joe Biden because he's a conservative. Steve. Okay. Why would Bernie submit himself to that? Yeah, exactly. What? Why? So today's rundown, your montage. I I don't know if you intended to do this. Let's just say I did. (laughs) But essentially, your rundown is like, Let's show our audience how everything we've told them all along was right in one montage. Because everything that we have been trying to talk about and discuss and point out on this show for the last month plus, is it's all confirmed here. I, I mean, I could, I could go down this point by point. I told you all along, people weren't just going to sit here lying down and take this. That people were not just going to sit and Netflix and chill. Some people will. But it's always been like that. You know, there's a poll out today that shows a majority of Americans are fine with the lockdowns. It doesn't matter what a majority of Americans think. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Here's why. Because as long as the minority is going to have its voice heard and will be the only one in the public square while everybody in the quote-unquote majority is hunkered down at their homes, those would be the voices that ultimately get listened to. That's how history works. One of the greatest observations in all of human history was Samuel Adams. It has always been a committed minority that has enacted the most change in history. And that's always been the case. 110 men and women hunkered down in an upper room changed the world. I mean, they, they, they did what Hannibal could not. They did what the Germanic tribes could not. They did what Gaul and Britannia could not conquered the Roman Empire. It's always been a committed minority. Which is 56 men that stood there and, and, and signed the Declaration of Independence. That's all. It's always been like this. This is not unique in human history. A majority has always signed up for servitude or complacency. It's always been like that. That's why we're not a nation of laws, but a nation of political will. A majority of this country doesn't find people of the same sex attractive and never has and never will. And yet, that very committed, minuscule minority has radically changed, altered, and reshaped the way we see society so that now you can't watch DuckTales without my two dads. It's always been the minority that has done this. Because we're, we're, we're always, we, we, this has always been a nation of political will and it always will be. We told you that the that once the models fell apart, did we not tell you that the tyrannies, the petty tyrannies, would get pettier and grosser? 
Did we not see several examples of that in Aaron's montage? We told you that this is a country that is in, that is engaged in a cold civil war. And that clip from Tucker Carlson and the governor of New Jersey is a cold civil war in one clip. In one soundbite, that's the whole thing right there. Sir, we have this thing called the Constitution. By what authority do you get to override it? Huh? <laughs> Virus, uh, because? I don't, that's beyond my pay grade, man. I have to consider that. That's it right there. That's the whole, <laughs> the whole debate in our culture is in that clip right there. What about these traditions? What about these fixed things? What about these self-evident truths? What about these preordained laws? What about this pre-established constitution? One side says, and the other side says, hey, isn't that it back on the bumper, man? That, that's what the other side says. And you know what? The argument ends right there. The, can't, that's, the, the, the debate ended because it never started. You can't debate that. You just have to defeat it because it's out to defeat you. There's no case that you will make short of fear that will cause that New Jersey governor, unless he has some kind of spiritual regeneration, there's no case you can make other than a fear of the uprising of the people that, that will get him to, to countermand his own worldview at that level. And no man can rise above his own worldview. That's something else we've told you on this show for years. So if you're in New Jersey and you want your state back, you're going to probably have to do that and more what they did in Michigan. And Michigan's going to have to keep doing that because those people aren't with you. They don't agree with you. They don't see the world the way you do. You're not just debating with them top marginal tax rates or even substantive issues like single payer health care. They, they literally are looking at you through the other side of the mirror. This is, you're, you're on the other side of the looking glass, Alice. Down is up, up is down, right is left, left is right. That you, there's, not, there's not a common ground there. You have nothing in common with them other than you were made in the image of God fearfully and wonderfully just as they were. And that's where the comparisons begin and end. And so when you're up against a worldview of that magnitude, you got to walk and chew gum at the same time. You got to try to evangelize those people on one hand and defeat them at the same time on the other in case the first effort's not successful. Because there's not reasoning with that. that just, you, you cannot reason with that. That's not an opponent. That is an enemy. Told you from day one, I didn't buy the theory of the, the lone Batman theory. From day one, just didn't make any sense. And I, and I, especially when I broke down the chain of events, look at the chain of events. Last year, the president launches a trade war against China. Now, who knows whether he would have won it or not, but at the very least, he landed a punch or two when we haven't even tried to do that. And I say that as someone that was dubious and pessimistic about the trade war's prospects. That is followed by mass uprisings in Hong Kong, the chief economic sector of China. They're facing real threats to their hegemony, both foreign and domestic 
for the first time probably since Tiananmen Square. And then lo and behold, after that, it was just, what's the luck of just some crazed peasant eating an infected bat he bought, or a bat that infected a pig or whatever it was that he bought at a wet market? I mean, those poor shycoms, if they didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. And just right when their hegemony is threatened, just this happenstance tragedy, pandemic occurs to create, and the, and the world's like, oh man, it's tough on the shycoms. Feel bad for those people. Didn't buy it from day one. From day one. Didn't make any sense to me. Don't buy it. And now you've even got AP saying they've been lying to us since at least mid, early January. The president basically confirmed John Roberts' story by saying to him, well, those are some sources you can cite. <laughs> That's an unofficial uh, confirmation of that story from Fox News of where we think this came from. I'll give you my next opinion on this. I think the only reason we're not reporting that it was a biological weapon is because that would create pressure to see that as an act of war. And we're fighting another war right now for our way of life and just don't have time to fight a two-front war right now. But eventually, I think we'll get there too. I think we will get there too. And the debate will then become whether it was meant to get out or whether they were tinkering with a potential biological weapon and, it, and uh, you know, they capped and tripped on themselves. But, but I don't, yeah, what, what, what's the purpose of experimenting with a bat that nests 900 miles away from your viral lab? It's, it's not an immediate threat to your ecosystem or habitat, is it? Nope. It's not flying around infesting your water table or food table, is it, from 900 kilometers away? Nope. So why are you experimenting on a bat that nests, closest colony of nesting is 900 kilometers away? Why? Well, there's reasons for that all the potential answers to that question guess what they're bad all of the potential answers to that question are bad i think we'll eventually get there as well told you i didn't trust anthony fauci from day one here we are again so now anthony fauci tells us we may never be able to shake hands ever again remember he said that just a few days ago but so you're not it's not safe for you to shake hands or invite your grandparents over to their grandbaby's birthday party that's not safe but it is safe for basically two complete strangers to hook up via Tinder and swap bodily fluids. Does that make any sense to you? No, it doesn't make sense. And also it just pisses me off even more. The second part of it, if you're willing to accept the risk, yeah. which is what all right. we've been talking about for over a month about yes. acceptable risk to not yes. take the freaking economy. Mm -hmm. uh, every one of you buying all of this scam when the scams just keep adding on and on and on each other and you still keep doubling down on a model and we saved the universe by uh, sucking our thumbs in our closets i mean i'm living the rest of my life to embarrass you because that is nonsense i went we went grocery shopping yesterday and it was it was one of the, it's the first time in my life i was embarrassed for america embarrassed for this country made me sick the amount of stupidity i saw the amount of paranoia I saw and then the amount of stupidity I saw after the stupidity and the paranoia. And I mean, lists of what's available and what's not rationing it. Like it's like, this is East Germany in the eighties, man. Just, I, I just made me embarrassed for this country. 
just you're just embarrassed to be an American. Pathetic. Absolutely just pathetic. You know, it wasn't it was 10 minutes ago you guys used to mock me all the time for how focused and fixated I am on hygiene and everything else, right? I wanted to lick everything in the damn store. Lick it all. Lick it all. Just just absolutely pathetic. Pathetic. Made me embarrassed to be an American that entire it took me, I, I didn't get over that for hours. Just so angry and frustrated at just how embarrassing it was. Pathetic. Weak. Hopefully you're teaching your kids Arabic while they're at home. They're going to need it. Now you've got a study out today that shows the transmission rate of this virus is much worse indoors than out. What did I tell you a month ago? University of Hong Kong study from 2011 peer-reviewed found that SARS viruses are particularly stubborn indoors on what are called fomites or infected areas within climate-controlled environments, even into the 70 degree. Up to 74 degrees, in fact, the study said. And what did we sentence everybody home to for the last month and a half now in this country? Indoors, inside, largely a climate-controlled environment. Even if you don't accept my theory or it doesn't, prove in, it, doesn't, it doesn't end up proven true that the virus was here the entire flu and pneumonia season, you, still wanna, you should still be for ending these lockdowns as soon as possible. Because that just means then the longer we stay indoors, the more painful the path to herd immunity will end up being. So everything that we have been talking about, asking about, pointing out on this show for the last month plus, is pretty much all confirmed in Aaron's montage. Gentlemen, you have any further thoughts? Well, I can't stress enough. When that article came out, first I saw it breaking from uh, Fox News and Brett Baer about uh, the Wuhan lab. I, I can't stress enough. It was two to three weeks ago where we basically just sitting here live on air thinking out loud mm -hmm. basically wrote that story mm -hmm. in its entirety just simply just analyzing data and chain yes. of events that, that's all just just willingly willing to take the truth to where it goes rather than projecting what i need the truth to be on the on the facts instead yes and again the the pushback that trump is getting now over taking money from the WHO, after and they will, will continue. Bill, Bill Gates knows all this is going on, and he's out there ripping on him uh, uh, on us for taking away that money. When there has clearly been nothing short of a cabal of interests that have globally attempted whether whether this it's it, it's Steve may be right about this be officially being a bioweapon. That that's immaterial to make the case I'm about to. There has been a cabal of interests internationally that have simply been trying to use this virus to take down America. Yep. That's not deniable anymore. No, it's not. And therefore, if you are here domestically as an American and making an argument contrary to that, 
you you are simply in many ways if not officially declaring it an enemy of the state yourself or at the very least a useful idiot yes and i'm purposefully using that language how badly do you need to hate trump this nation republicans christians steve i didn't even think bring up that ridiculous well this is this is clearly the virus that's targeting christians how badly do you need to hate those people that you are willing to tell lies that are so brazenly dishonest so easily disprovable that you will hug them tighter than any lie you've told before that means that sooner or later this cold civil war that steve's talking about it's not going to be so cold anymore it's going to be bloody and there's going to be no choice anymore we will not be able to inhabit the same space if you will believe such lies exactly i mean the more barney fifes we have like in raleigh north carolina who go on their twitter account and basically say yes the uh, the u.s constitution has been nullified by order of me the raleigh police department chief whatever the more you have of those the more the more pressure the more pressure that there is going to be it's not going to be cold any longer and right now i think what we have except with you know the, the mainstream media, the, the cable news, they've, we've said this for years now, that they're basically enemy media. They're, they're broadcasting to another country, so they're largely irrelevant. But those who still have or still claim some semblance of credibility across the, uh, across the, the, the spectrum, whether or not they're conservative blue check marks or not, it, it's really largely at this point, it's not really about the virus. It's just about... I don't want to admit that this was not nearly as big of a deal as we responded to it. It didn't merit. It did not merit what we have done to our economy, what we have done to blow up the lives of millions and millions of people in our country alone. It's just the pride, not wanting to admit that. And right now, as I've said multiple times, our biggest problem is still us being fearful, not wanting to actually return to normal when we can and should. Right now we have twice as many people unemployed as the total populations of Sweden, Cuba, and Jordan. Well, premiering tonight on Hulu, actually it premiered last night, my bad, uh, premiering the days, are the days running together for you guys now too? A little bit. Yeah. I, I am literally at times forgetting what day of the week it is, but uh, premiering last night on Hulu uh, was Mrs. America starring uh, Academy Award winning actress Kate Blanchett as the late great Phyllis Schlafly. However, I'm sure this will shock many of you. This may not have been the most accurate or even flattering portrayal of uh, the grand dame of uh, American conservatism. And that's why uh, Ann Corey is with us now. Uh, she is Phyllis Schlafly's daughter, chairman of Eagle Forum. She joins us here today on Blaze TV radio and podcast. And it's good to have you with us. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show, Steve. You bet. I just want to tell you, um, your mom was very, very kind to me. Uh, As she was to so many people. Yeah. She was an she mentored people and that's what the show misses this new movie yeah she was always willing to come on when we asked uh 
Um, she uh, was very helpful in promoting uh, a couple of my books that were very successful as well uh, to her audience and to her radio audience and would have me on frequently to discuss them. So um, I've, I've, I've got great fondness uh, for your mom, notwithstanding her on a personal level, notwithstanding uh, her legacy as a patriot. So let, let's start there. Where do you, wh- what do you think this movie gets wrong the most? I think they get wrong that um, they they portray her as cold, cruel, and calculating, as though she was power mad. And you, those of us who knew her, knew that what she wanted was the best for the United States of, of America because she wanted it for her family. She cared about future generations in America. Did they consult with you guys whatsoever in the making of this film? Are you kidding? Hollywood has a... <laughs> I know, but I had to ask. I'm sorry. Go they ahead. They know what they want. And in fact, the producer of the show bragged that she didn't want to be... Um, she didn't want to have the facts interfere with her version of, of the narrative. What was the... What's the point in, in, in doing this now? That she's, she's, she's passed away a while ago... She's not on the front lines of the culture war or she's no threat uh, to the to any kind of leftist, uh, at, at least in real time anyway. Well, to maybe any, she is still a well, threat. And that's, that, that's why that, they're taking her on. That could be it, right? So what, permission lives. what's the point in, in trying to retcon this history now, do you think? One word, abortion. That is the reason why. And um, I did watch the sh- uh, show last night, and uh, there is a huge thread about abortion rights and how important this issue was for the feminists in the 1970s and still is today. The whole reason they're reviving the Equal Rights Amendment and trying to shoehorn it into the Constitution is because the feminists are worried that the current makeup of the Supreme Court will chip away at Roe v. Wade, and they want to ensure abortion rights as a constitutional rights by putting the Equal Rights Amendment in today. And so they, the purpose of this show, they were hoping it would be a victory lap on ratification, but they've run into some roadblocks on it. But the purpose of this show is to say the 1970s was a mistake and we can rectify and bring back feminism. Because I think every American agrees there's, there's not enough feminism or something. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it does. The show actually does us some favors by showing you have two parallel lives here. You have the life of a woman who lived it to the fullness with uh, with a marriage and family and a successful life. And then you have the unhappiness and infighting among the feminists of the of the 1970s. You've touched on it already when we started our conversation, uh, Anne, but go into more about who your mom was as a person, because I think probably even a lot of folks that agreed with her only just knew her from speeches or op-eds or books um, or media appearances, but who was Phyllis Schlafly just as a woman? Well, there's no question that she was a force of nature, that she was confident and strong and that she had no she was no wallflower. She had no problem expressing her opinions. But I think what's really important is to understand where that came from. And it came from her 
core beliefs, her faith in God, and the reason why she was so confident every time she entered into the fray and that she felt that she could do that fully was because she really believed that God was on her side and that she was fulfilling God's mission for her. One of my uh, uh, one of the things I object to in this movie, it, it there are more episodes coming out and I haven't seen this episode except in a trailer. They have a little snippet of my mother in a confessional arguing with God. Now that was not who she was. Her beliefs were full and confident and that's what gave her the security to to express herself so well. I don't know that if you intended for this to be the case, but what you just described is in many respects, your mom was was a living repudiation of the lie of egalitarian feminism. That the uh, that that she's not a wallflower. She wasn't mousy, um, and, and so the only way that a that a woman can have uh, project any level of of strength, um, any level of independence, is to abandon her God given femininity, to abandon uh, the primary tasks that God gives to men and women to do her part in a abandoning those to become much more like the very men you claim that have been dominating you uh, and and lording over you unfairly. In other words, in, in many respects, she proved that a lot of that binary choice that they offer on the other side is, is a scam. Well, that is why she's continuing a threat today, because her very life showed that there is another way, that you don't have to pretend to be a man in order to have a fulfilling and beautiful life. After all, it was Gloria Steinem who said a while back that we have become the men we wanted to marry, Mm. thus recognizing that there are there are differences between men and women and let's celebrate them not pretend that they don't exist hmm. have you guys as a family discussed this at all what are the th- the thoughts the whole family has on what hulu is doing here and why well, I haven't talked to them uh, to see whether they have watched it, so I don't know the answer to that. But I will say that it isn't just my mother who comes in for uh, slurs and slimes in this movie. They attack my father as being an unsupportive brute and beast of a husband, which, of course, was not the case because he fully supported my mother in everything that she did. In fact, she often said she couldn't have done it without her husband. Fred. Fred was supportive intellectually, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. They were a partnership. And I think they had to make Fred out into this beast because it seemed so unfair to Hollywood that Phyllis could actually have it all, including a great marriage. In other words, because she repudiates their ideology, She's she can't be permitted to exist. They have to they've got to retcon this reverse engineer this. They have to they've got to squeeze their narrative in to the truth in order for the truth to be what they want it to be. Yes. Well, I mean, but understand that a 
A slam on Phyllis Schlafly is really designed to be a slam on all conservative women, that anyone who agrees with her ideology or who admired her or who followed her must also be taken down and made fun of and characterized as, and they use terrible um, slur words because, you know, if you don't like the facts, you start calling people racist, sexist, bigots, homophobes, uh, anti-Semitic, all the whole a slew of things. And so in one of the shows, in episode three, they make false accusations about the supporters of my mother as being racist. And they try to link, of all things, they try to link my mother with the Ku Klux Klan. I think they forget that the Ku Klux Klan was an arm of the Democratic Party, and my mother was a lifelong Republican. Do you guys think you have legal standing to go after them for what they're doing here? Well, unfortunately, when you're dead, all pot shots are open. And it's you note that they waited until everybody died. My parents, a lot of the um, the feminists on the other side, the only person who is still alive that they portray in this show is Gloria Steinem. Mm. And she gets a a uh, um, a star treatment in the show. What's your. What's your message to the next generation about following in your mom's footsteps and how she fused her faith? Well, I wouldn't even say fused it, but it was the driving force for why she did what she did in the civic yeah, she arena. She tried to make her life fit her faith. Right. Her faith fit was it was the core, and her life emanated from her faith. There's oh, a, well, so for the for young women today, mm-hmm. you know, there's a rise of a new um, um, type of feminism uh, from the Me Too movement. And what Me Too and feminism of the 1970s expressed was victimology. In other words, just because you were born a woman, you are a victim. Now, that is the ideology that my mother objected to. She never portrayed herself as a victim, never fell into the idea that that her mistake should be blamed on somebody else and that she is a victim. No, because that is a negative attitude. And Steve, you know that my mother was positive, joyful, optimistic, happy. And that is what gets you success in life, not trying to blame somebody else. I will I will tell you, Anne, I was surprised, actually, when I got to know her on a, on a personal level because I only just had seen what I had watched growing up. And then when I knew about her getting involved in my own activism and uh, I was really surprised that in many respects, she was just a nice old woman named Phyllis. Just happened to have some real strong convictions. But aside from that, she's just a nice old woman named Phyllis, really. Well, she was very approachable. You know, everyone called her Phyllis. Mm-hmm. I mean, she. I mean, even the young interns in the office, she, ne- she never stood on ceremony that way. She was immensely approachable uh, to to talk to about any topic and available. That's the, uh, one of my others, uh, my mother's other keys to her success in life was her availability. You know, she answered her own phone. Her phone number was always in the phone book. Uh, she made herself accessible. And I think that's something for all of us to remember that um, 
you don't you don't put on airs and go top down. You go ground up for the most success. You know, here she was in a small town in the middle of flyover country. She never had a government office. She never had a, she was never elected to any position and yet she had this much power and influence. And Corey, she is the chairman of the Eagle Forum. That's the organization her mother started uh, many years ago. And uh, talking about what uh, Hulu was trying to do with this new show, Mrs. America, to retcon her mother uh, in order to revive uh, left-wing feminism. And and again, it's a pleasure having you with us. And uh, just I, I enjoyed greatly. One of the cool things in my career was getting a chance uh, to know her and uh, have her uh, be supportive of some of my work. So thank you very much for joining us here on the show today. It was a real pleasure to be on your show, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Take care. God bless. God bless you. Gentlemen, a little different than what we typically do for a Theology Thursday, but since this topic was hot right now, and in, in many respects, what we try to, are trying to do with a show like this is following the footsteps of what somebody like Phyllis Schlafly was doing long before Aaron was born, even to some extent before you and I were born. Sure. Right? It just kind of it seemed fitting to kind of uh, have this be an exception with, with a guest spot for Theology Thursday when talking about her legacy. Well... Nothing testifies to her legacy more, and I mean absolutely nothing, than raising a child like Ann Corey, who is so willing to pick up your mantle and speak about you in such a fashion. Uh, I I can only pray that uh, I'll leave even something remotely behind uh, that my children can similarly pick up and carry forward and are willing to talk about me in such a light. So uh, great credit to Phyllis just for raising a fantastic otter. The other thing I would say is we've got to start beating Hulu and the others to the punch. Why weren't we writing this story? Why weren't we Mm -hmm. telling it? That's, that's on us. You know, Mm -hmm. is there any better in terms of uh, a conservative icon and, and amongst a group that conservatives have a trouble, trouble wooing uh, various minority groups, females among them. We certainly we, we talked about that with Romney, but the, we had that segment that married tend to go that direction more than people think. Mm-hmm. But young single ones, we, we lose them early. We could do better and we could do it better if we told a better story about the life of Phyllis Safley. I'm not sure our audience, unless they're of an older generation, is like if you're Aaron's age or somewhere between Aaron and ours age. I don't don't know that you know how much how much we've talked a lot about that much of the conservative infrastructure post Reagan Rush Limbaugh and his success is largely responsible for because he created what we now call conservative media right well a select group of people and Phyllis Schlafly is among them is pretty much um, responsible for creating all of the conservative infrastructure that existed before Reagan and allowed you to have a Reagan. Even things like CPAC and things of this nature that we take for granted nowadays came from the the the, the generation of, uh, of Phyllis Schlafly and her peers, Aaron. Yeah, and um, that's something that uh, my generation of conservatives, as uh, few as they may be, it's something that we don't understand. But to Todd's point, I, I would say, how in the world we we let the left get away with retconning our own history? Uh, I, I'm not really I'm not really sure how that's how that's acceptable. And I, I'm glad that we have the chance to to clear the air, of course, with Ann Corey. But uh, again, to, to Todd's point, we've got to do a much 
better job at telling our story. That that that's that's as far as the conservative movement goes. That's that 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 story and that history actually belongs to us, not to Kate Blanchett and uh, Hollywood producers. Um, so that's you know that's one concerning thing. But um, you know I I I don't know who that is. I don't know who the Ann Schlafly is of today or Phyllis Schlafly, I should say, is of today. That's that's another concerning thing about this because unfortunately we have, I don't have enough time to make this I don't have enough time to make this point but as our movement has gotten further and further it's gone into more of conservative ink than actual conservatism which is what Phyllis Schlafly actually championed. Well, another good testimony to her legacy is how much they still want to vilify her and hate her yeah, even after she's gone. That's actually quite a tip of the That'll cap preach. as well. Yeah. And greetings. Welcome to the Steve Day Show live and on demand here, hour number two on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Day's here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. 888-933-93 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And don't forget, if you do listen to the podcast, please leave us a five-star review because the more of those we get, if you like us, if you don't, don't lie. But if you do... Definitely keep those five-star reviews coming. They help the show to grow. Thank you to all of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews already. If you have not yet done so, what are you waiting for? We've got extra free time, right? I mean, nothing to worry about. Got nothing going on. Just 22 million people unemployed in America as of today. That's all. 22 million. That's an unemployment rate of 18%. The highest I think we achieved during the Great Depression was 25. So... I mean, what me worried? You shouldn't be worried. I understand. We often talk about your, how you need to like shut things off. So Mm -hmm. you just, nothing is making me more mad than getting on sports radio afterwards and listening to it and, and listening to the very people saying, we're all in this together. This must be done. It's hard. They're still getting their paychecks. And then in the next breath, regaling you with the glories of the lint in their navel that they've been doing in their mm-hmm. off time. It, it, they have no sense or care of the cost. They just don't. I absolutely believe there's going to be a football season this fall, but I am strangely comforted by the possibility there won't be. Because it will mean all of those people you just described, they are all going to lose their jobs. Yep. And, and that, that when will, I, s- I know I will, I will be strangely comforted. Oh, by that's what I meant. When I said before, I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, trying to embarrass you guys. It'll be with truths like that. Yes. I mean, there's a there's a sports writer that I saw this morning. I mean, if you don't have a Twitter account, my advice to you is not to get one, particularly right now. Because the reason why is if you already don't, if you're already struggling with just unbiblical levels of loathing and hatred for certain people, this won't help with that. (laughs) Okay. Because Twitter in any circumstance lets you know what your media people really think of you. And I'm reminded of a, uh, 
rant ice cube went on back when i was into my gangster rap days in high school and when ice cube came out with america's most wanted when he broke away from nwa that's right we went from phyllis schlafly's legacy to ice cube and gangster rap this might be the only show that would be Steve dumb Day enough show. to make that transition yes and and he just broke away from nwa and he, he goes on this rant on uh, uh, Dr. Dre and and the whole crew, and he's like, no matter how much you, no matter how hard you try to switch, here's what they think about you. Well, that applies here. The uh, much of this media just hates people like you. And I'm watching several. I'm watching this one guy in uh, in, in sports media mock the people who went on that protest in Michigan yesterday. Oh, yeah, some guy in his pickup truck thinks he gets to question the medical experts. Now, what's ironic about this is this particular sports writer is a columnist, which means what's his job? To opine. To opine, scrutinize, question, um, skeptically often. He's not a player. He's not a coach. He's, he's not a general manager. He's not a class. He's not a qualified expert. So where does he get off having a job where he gets to question the experts in his field? I mean, there's just no self-awareness here whatsoever. None. But a disdain for people like you. Just a disdain. So if you're already struggling with that whole love your enemies thing, or even if you're like, I don't want to struggle with that right now, don't. I promise. And, and I'm not saying this like passive aggressively. I'm, 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 I'm doing this as a friend. Don't get a Twitter account. Don't. Uh, you, you, this is not the time to find out what they really think of you. If you're not exposed to it on a regular basis, you don't, you don't want to add that. Um, and so that I, I will, if, if indeed it doesn't happen, all of those people are all going to lose their jobs. Because of course, you that are losing your jobs already in a state like Michigan, you, you don't get to have a say. And it's funny how the people who haven't lost their jobs yet, they get to have an opinion. But those of you that, that, that have, you don't. 22 million unemployed in the, in the United States of America right now. I mean, stop. Folks, understand before this happened, we had one of the lowest ratio population to work ratios in the history of human civilization in this country. In the history of this country. Just go back. What's today? April 16th? Yes. So is it the typically the unemployment numbers are typically released the first Friday of every month, right? Right. That's when the unemployment report comes out, right? The first Friday of every month. And now, now unemployment claims are, fi are, are announced weekly, but usually when the unemployment rate is historically low, we don't pay attention to that. We just look at what the unemployment rate is the first Friday of every month. So if, imagine if I would have told you the first Friday, forget January and February. How about March? If I'd, have, if I'd have just come on here and said, folks, I've gazed into my crystal ball. We'd have done the day group that first Friday in March. And we always end it with our predictions, right? Sure. If my prediction had been 22 million Americans will be unemployed five and a half weeks from now. You all would have looked at me and said what? If nah, we keep, bruh. if uh, if we keep believing the nonsense we're believing, 
I'll entertain that. I think I would have said that at the time. Even in March? What if I said it in February? February, no. Yeah. No. Just to show how fast this whole thing can deteriorate. Right. 22 million and it's climbing. And to put that in perspective, that is, that if, if the amount of unemployed Americans were their own country, it would be by population the 58th largest country yeah. in the world. It would be slightly less people than Taiwan, more people than live in places like, than, like Syria, twice as much as the population of places like Sweden, Jordan, and Cuba. Twice as many people as live in those countries is what we have unemployed right now. And the reason I think in February I wouldn't have said it is, is because, man, this is, even they're not that crazy in an election year. But then this goes to what I said yesterday. I, the spirit of the age just is what it is. It makes no sense in an election year that this is, is the way things would go. Mm -hmm. But here we are nonetheless. What explains it other than wholly giving oneself over to something other than reason, science? It's utterly spiritual at this moment. Quick question. We're, we're lifting up the scene. Do you want to get uh, Leon right now, um, or would you rather do three questions? If we've got the Speaker of the Michigan House, let's get him on right now. I'll let you set him up right now. Uh, if, if you guys, if it sounded like we were stalling for time, it's because we were. And then Aaron just went ahead. And, while I was cleverly trying to do so subconsciously and subliminally, Aaron just flat out told you, hey, we've been stalling for time. So, yeah, basically. Yeah. So we've got him now. All right. Um, let's get to him right now. Uh, he is the Speaker of the Michigan House. Lee Chatfield joins us here on this Steve Day Show on Blaze TV radio and podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Thank you for coming to us uh, about coming on. Where, where, where do you, by the way, I grew up in Michigan. I'm even wearing my maize and blue today. So where, where, what's your district? Where do you, where do you represent? Yeah, so I'm from a town called Petoskey. So yeah. I'm from up north. So I've got two counties above the bridge. I've got two counties below the bridge. So I've got the Mackinac Bridge in my district from Petoskey all the way to Sault Ste. Marie. So a beautiful part of the district. It's God's country. That is fortuitous for this conversation because I think people don't maybe don't understand because of Michigan's association is a Rust Belt state. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't know. Well, Grand Rapids has grown massively since I was growing up there as a kid even. So it's kind of become like a top 50 city in the country. But for a lot of people, all they knew about Michigan most of their lives was just the Detroit area. Right. And yeah, you know, a Rust Belt urban area where everybody's on top of each other. Why Why right. would you need to, why Why could, in, in Sault Ste. Marie, Traverse City, Petoskey, places like that, why Why? why are, is it, are you a threat to public health in, in those areas that are not as densely populated, far, socially distanced already? Why are you an enemy of public health if you want to go out and plant a garden in Petoskey, Michigan? Can you answer that question for us? Uh, well, uh, you know, like you mentioned, it'd be a great question to ask the administration, but it's been part of my argument with them, right? I mean, we can take uh, this public health crisis very seriously. We can do all we can to protect the public health, but it's not mutually exclusive from also being reasonable in our approach. And what I've been talking to the governor about is rather than trying to declare who in our state is essential or who in our state is non-essential, we should do a transition and that transition needs to be asking ourselves what activities can be done safely and what activities are unsafe. And we're seeing many different approaches, Steve, across the entire country with how states are battling COVID-19. And that's because different states are diverse. But the state of Michigan is very diverse, mm -hmm. right? And what's complicating the situation for us here in the great state of Michigan 
is 86% of our deaths and cases come from four counties. But we have a one-size-fits-all approach for all 83 counties. So we need to do all we can to ensure we have Southeast Michigan's back. They have the resources they need, the funding we need, and we need to take COVID-19 seriously. But we can be reasonable and ensure we protect public health as well as people's God-given, constitutionally secured rights. And in northern Michigan, we can find ways to do things safely. So I'm calling on the governor to have a regional risk-based plan. And I think that's the best step for our families and for our economy. I've never gotten elected to office before, so I've not taken an oath of office, Lee. I know that you have, though, as the Speaker of the House, obviously, up there in Michigan. Were, was, was there a portion of your oath of office that said, except if it's snowing outside, um, which was the rationale that was given on national television by Governor Whitmer yesterday, that you don't, you don't really need these rights and freedoms right now. I mean, it's snowing outside anyway. Was, was that part of the oath of office that you took there in Petoskey, Michigan, Lee? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't, and it wasn't a part of the oath of office that anyone took across our country. And I think, Steve, that's why you saw so many people show up to the state capitol yesterday, right? There's people that are frustrated because they've had their livelihoods taken away. They're being told that they can't have a job and take care of their family. And there's a lot of people in Michigan who they want to earn a paycheck and not an unemployment check. So they showed up here to the Capitol. There's nothing more American than people descending on a Capitol to, um, you know, show their frustrations with government. And I hope government was listening. And, and my entire point is we can be responsible and reasonable at the same time. Michigan has become an outlier in how we're handling the COVID-19 crisis. And because of that, I think we have a lot of families here in Michigan who are hurting unnecessarily. And my encouragement to the governor is let's take it seriously. Let's protect the public health, but let's be reasonable. And let's get off of the essential versus non-essential. Because here's the fundamental thing, Steve. If safety is the number one factor, then we have to begin asking ourselves what can be done safely. So in Michigan, you have this framework where people are forced to be home. And now they can no longer go to the store uh, and, and buy equipment to fix up their home. They can't buy paint. They can't buy gardening supplies. We're told lawn care is not essential. Construction is not essential. Manufacturing. We, we've become an outlier. And our approach is simply not logical. So I want the governor to be successful because that means Michigan's success. And I want President Trump to be successful because that means American success. And if either one of those comments frustrate either Republicans or Democrats, I think they're part of the problem because as Americans, we're gonna get through any crisis that we face. We'll remain united. We're, we're still one nation under God. We can get through it, but we can be reasonable and ensure people's constitutional rights are protected. So we have to be very cautious before we throw out the constitution because in this conversation of who's essential or what's essential, I can tell you the constitution is still essential and it still is something that we should be following right now. And I think it's very important that we do that. Lee Chatfield is the speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives. He's our guest here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. What, where did this notion of essential and non-essential come from to begin with? Because I'm looking at this as a policy analyst doing what I do for a living. You're on the inside, though, making policy. Who thought it was a good idea to tell? I mean, obviously, you guys had to know we were going to see these massive spikes in unemployment if we shut the economy down. You didn't have to be Milton Friedman to know this was coming. So who thought it was a great idea to tell? Now it's currently 22 million and climbingly. Tell all those people, hey, it's okay. Your jobs were unessential. I mean, even that sort of messaging I've, uh, to the country, you're almost begging for people then to take matters into their own hands to be heard, like what happened in your state yesterday. When when you start from that kind of condescending premise in a way well of those 22 million uh that have filed steve 1 million are from the state of michigan 
right? So we have, we've been hit hard here in our state. There's no denying it. And we can take it seriously. But this whole question of essential versus non-essential, some of it's happening at the state level and some of it's happening even at the federal level. So as I break this down for your viewers, there's 45 states across our country right now that have some type of stay-at-home order. Of those 45 states, there's 19 that have their own standards, safe and unsafe, essential or non-essential. So that leaves 26 states, 26 states that are following the federal CISA standards, and that's regarding critical infrastructure. The problem is Michigan is one of the only states that has adopted the CISA standards, but we haven't updated to the most recent ones. And the most recent ones take a more pragmatic approach to allow some types of manufacturing. It allows some type of lawn care. It allows work for realtors. It allows optometry, many different things, gardening, that Michigan right now is currently not allowing. And I think that's why you saw so many people come to the state capitol yesterday frustrated, right? And that's why we have to transition. The sooner we can transition, Steve, away from essential and non-essential and begin asking ourselves what activities can be done safely, we're going we're gonna to avoid a much larger economic collapse than we're currently on track for. And the biggest false narrative that's out there that bothers me, and I think it's partisan, I think it's political, and I think it's wrong, is people try to say you either have to choose public health or you have to choose the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a false narrative. You can do both and you can be reasonable. And that's why I'm calling on the governor. We're a diverse state. Let's have Southeast Michigan's back, but that's four counties that have been hit incredibly hard. Let's not steal the livelihoods and the paychecks from everyone else across our state because we're diverse and let's have a regional risk-based plan. And we should be looking at it through that lens rather than government trying to decide who's essential. I think it's wrong. And I think it's not logical. And when, you know, it's what Reagan said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language sometimes are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So when you have the government coming in, trying to tell you who's essential, you know what we're going to find out through this, Steve? We're going to find out that a lot of American workers were more essential than we thought they were, because Mm -hmm. this is going to hurt our state budget. It's going to hurt our family budget. And government only has the money that it takes from the pockets of our taxpayers. So the money is going to come from somewhere you know, as, as we look to pay for all this. So again, I want the governor to be successful. We're from different parties. That's okay. I want the president to be successful too, but we need to be more reasonable in how we're approaching this and how we're battling it. So Lee, I don't want to put you in too difficult of a position. Okay. I mean, you do have a position of prominence, but it's, but it's in one state government, not nationally, but it's rare outside of the task force environment that or the, the task force setting at the white house that average everyday Americans who watch and listen to a show like this are getting an opportunity to question the people that they have in their public policy positions while they're told in states like Michigan and North Carolina and Kentucky that their constitutional rights are suspended right now. So it, it, uh, answer this question if you could, but I, but I, I'm, I want to give you the credit up front or the benefit of that up front. I know it's, 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 I'm asking you in a way to kind of take on a mantle beyond the scope of your office, but you're here and I don't know anyone else to ask. So I'm going to ask you this. Okay. What you just articulated seems like common sense to just about anybody with an IQ above 110. Okay. Anybody who has, has full motor function, anybody who's ever let alone met a payroll balanced their own budget paid their own bills that we you know we just cannot go from one extreme to the other particularly the longer this goes on and and the more apocalyptic simulations that drove these shutdowns have been proven not to come to fruition and we can debate whether social distancing is the reason why or not to me that's a separate debate from this question for you as a policymaker because one of the things i'm seeing in my audience and maybe you see it among your constituents is the is when when people realize that that 
the people they vote for or put in authority are just rejecting common sense. They have a hard time, Lee, trying to re- reconcile that. And so they start going to like, the, the, well, it must be some sinister motivation that, that I'm missing here. Why we wouldn't just do what just seems the most obvious thing to do. And so maybe she does things like this because those four counties are where the vast majority of her voters are. They'd get very upset if they saw people going and golfing in Traverse City and turn on her. So everybody else has to suffer the way that she does. People start looking for motivations when when it seems like common sense is so available and so easily denied. You're getting some of those same health briefings, I would imagine, as a powerful member of state government that she's getting. So why did this seem like an accessible um, solution for you to latch onto, and yet it still seems to elude her because what's playing out in your state is, in a way, a microcosm of what's going on all over the country right now. So it's an interesting question, right? How can two individuals look at the same set of facts and the same data and come to different conclusions? That uh, after all, we're in politics, right? So we look at things through a different lens. First, let me say this uh, to to set up a qualification for the answer. You know, I I do believe that the governor and the president and governors around the country are making decisions that they feel are in the best interests for people's health and security. And and I totally understand that. I agree with that and believe that. And I also will admit there's no manual. Uh, that was given to anyone who's dealing with COVID-19 right now, right? I've talked, I've talked to state lawmakers here in the state of Michigan. I've talked to lawmakers around the country. I've talked to my governor. No one in their 2018 platform when they were running said, I'm running for this position to deal with COVID-19. This is an unprecedented pandemic. But I think that's why we have to approach it with caution to see what all rights we throw out the window while we are through it, right? And I think it's important that we protect people's safety, but you have to balance that and still acknowledge constitutional God-given rights. And, you know, there's, as Milton Friedman, you mentioned him earlier, and one of my favorite Milton Friedman quotes is he said, when it comes to public policy, there's nothing as dangerous as good intentions. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of good intentioned people out there who are doing the best they can to protect people's health and safety. That doesn't mean that we have to throw reasonableness out the window. So a lot of people will put a qualification, Steve, if it saves one life, does that justify the policy? And we have to look deep within ourselves to say, what are the ramifications of having a broken economy? What are the ramifications of having broken industry? Because this is not, at the end of the day, this isn't about business. This isn't about uh, necessarily industry around the country. This isn't about politics. This is about people. And a hurt economy hurts people, it hurts families, it hurts their pocketbooks. So we have to approach it from how do we protect public health and ensure that people can take care of themselves. Because I will tell you this, governors around the country are going to find out it's going to take a lot longer to reopen the economy than it took them to shut it down. Mm -hmm. And we have to ensure people can get back on their feet before it's too late. And I think now's our time. I think Michigan had a missed opportunity last week, but I'm still working with the governor on a daily basis. I'm still communicating with her uh, in a cordial manner while encouraging her to adopt some of these policies that I find to be reasonable. Why the lack of flexibility when given the actual data that we are saying, because the truth of the matter is, Lee, that unless I lived there in the, the, the Detroit, Southeast Michigan area, New Orleans, Spokane, Seattle, New York City, New Jersey, tri-state area, unless I lived in one of those communities, by and large, the vast majority of the rest of America, all they really know about this virus is what, how it threatens their way of life, their, their freedoms, their liberties, 
the 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 lost experiences of proms with their children and weddings and things of that nature that are that make life worth living. Um, not to mention their livelihoods and their homes and everything else. That they only know that side of the equation because they don't live in one of those half dozen or so locales, hot zones around the country. What's been the reason why government has not been able to uh, more quickly be more nimble in responding to those realities? Why, why was there resistance? Why does Petoskey have to be treated like, like Detroit? Why does Mackinac Island have to be treated like Detroit? Why does Kansas have to be treated like New York City? I think that's another question our viewers and listeners have around the country have. And again, I'm being unfair asking one guy who's the speaker of one legislature in one state to answer that. But you're who we got right now, brother. So I'm asking you that. Well, I think it first takes an acknowledgement from those within government that they don't have all the answers, right? We've heard a lot, you know, in politics the last couple of years in our country about making America great again. But fundamentally, government is not what made America great and government will never make America great. I think obviously the founding principles that our country was built upon and our, you know, belief in God and being united around those core principles found within the Declaration of Independence are what made our country great. So we have to understand, number one, we don't have all the answers. And this is an unprecedented pandemic, which is going to take an unprecedented partnership. And that partnership, it needs to be people within government listening to not just the private sector, but families and people. And, and in essence, saying, what are the ways that you can follow social distancing guidelines while meeting these standards? One size fits all does not work. There's never been something uh, in our country personally that I believe, Steve, where the people didn't have the answer, but the government came to the rescue. Right. And, and people only know what their surroundings are, who they're speaking with. And we, we need to ensure that we are flexible enough to change up our approach um, and to ensure that we are looking at it through a, a lens of safety and, and not necessarily who is essential. And, and Dr. Fauci came out yesterday, said that exact thing. He said, you know, because they were pressing him. Right. And it's a tough question. No one has all the answers. They said, when can the economy open back up? He said, it's too difficult to determine right now, but when the economy does open back up, it will have to be regionally based because a one size fits all doesn't work for the whole country. So coronavirus is not discriminating based on geographical lines, right? And if we can have different approaches around the country, what's stopping us as states from having different approaches within our state? Uh, a state like Michigan is a perfect uh, case in point because we're so diverse. So I think as government looks you know, looks within ourselves. We look at the data. We're, we're doing the best we can to listen to experts about what we can do to protect the public health. That's something I also took an oath to do. It's within the Constitution to do, you know, to promote uh, the public safety of the people of our state. That's something I have to do. It's something I'm concerned about. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of answers, as I'm finding, as I'm talking to folks within the private sector, as I'm talking to families, they can find ways to do this. And Steve, the American people are creative. The American people are entrepreneurs. There's never been a challenge that we've been given as Americans that we couldn't overcome. The red, white, and blue always finds a way. So if we are concerned about social distancing and ensuring that this isn't spread, if we lay out standards to small family businesses, if we lay out standards to people, you can do activities A, B, and C if these standards can be followed. I promise you, they will find a way because Americans always do. And I think we're not giving enough credit uh, to the American people. And we're trying to, in essence, become a state that says we know what's best. And I think that's normally, as you look through history, that's when governments go awry. So I do not envy the position that the president is in. I do not envy the position that the governor is in. You've heard the, the term armchair quarterback, mm -hmm. right? The person who sits at home and can call the play. I will tell you this, 
armchair governor, armchair president are probably the easiest positions to be right now across our country. So, you know, but I think God's got President Trump in his position for such a time as this. And because of that, you know, Governor Whitmer is uh, the person that uh, the people of the state of Michigan selected to lead us through this crisis. And I'm going to partner with her the best I can while still encouraging her to be reasonable, pragmatic and protecting people's constitutional rights. And I feel that's my role um, with the position God's blessed me to temporarily be in uh, as leader of the People's Chamber. And I'm going to keep doing that every day. Lee, I've got only a minute here. One final question for you. Has flattened the curve become we sit here in our homes until the virus is all gone? It is a great question. When this first happened, Steve, that's something I have said so many times. We were told there's going to be exposure to this, but we have to flatten the curve. CDC, a lot of their projections were saying they thought 60 to 70 percent of the American people would become exposed. Right now, we have to realize we can't contain this. We can only slow the spread. And once you've slowed the spread, you have to begin looking for opportunities to transition back into restoring people's livelihoods. And I think we're missing that opportunity. But I think you're you're spot on with the question. This was about flattening the curve and ensuring that our hospital systems could contain uh, the amount of people coming in. So uh, I think we need to continue looking for those opportunities, Steve. We have to look for the way to restore people's livelihoods to ensure that their constitutional rights are protected. I don't have all the answers. I will never pretend to be, but I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do the best I can to do my research and uh, and speak with people who I believe do have the answers and do the best I can uh, before God to ensure that I'm doing my job and upholding my oath. Lee Chatfield is the Speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives. Lee, thanks for joining us here today, sir. And I put you on the spot with some questions that are that are literally above your pay grade in this case, but I appreciate you stepping up and doing your best to answer them and give some answers to our audience and appreciate you guys and your staff for coming to us about coming on as well. Let's do this again in the future. All right, take care. Always a pleasure, Steve. Thank you. You bet. Gentlemen, you have a quick thought on that conversation? Wow. That's how you stand and deliver, man. Uh, I... Don't think I could have uh, found enough grace to to give her as much of a benefit of the doubt as he did. Um, I, I, I'm impressed with that guy. Never heard of him before, obviously, but um, I'm glad he's standing the post there in Michigan. Agreed. I, and I, you know, if there, if there were more people who were just willing to say the things out loud, people in, in positions of leadership likely say the things out loud that he has over the last uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, I, I think there would be even more uh, pressure on governors to actually at least at least it seems like uh, take into account what they're doing with some of these draconian measures instead of just feeling like they're potentate and a dictator. And uh, kudos to Lee for doing that. We'll come back and play three non-political questions when we return here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Well, Kyle and Josh were both losing their hair, but um, that's not a shock since the dreaded male pattern baldness gene ran in each of their families. But the way they each chose to deal with this personal, uh, I was going to say tragedy, and then I thought in light of current events, that's probably a bad choice of words. How about extreme inconvenience? 
all right, or being socially distanced from their hair. The way they chose, they each chose to deal with the socially distanced uh, hairline that they were both suffering from. Couldn't have been more different. Uh, Kyle put off getting his hair loss treatment, losing more and more hair by the day. While Josh went to Keeps to learn how to keep his hair because Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products. Therefore, they're the real deal. But since they're the generic versions, they saved him a ton of money as well. All he needed was a quick online consultation. He then answered a few questions, snapped a few pics of his hair, and then a doctor evaluated everything and recommended the right FDA approved hair loss treatment for Josh. So don't be like Kyle. Be like Josh uh, because it'll even get shipped discreetly to your door too. And I can get you started right now with half off your first order. If you go to keeps.com slash grow, half off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? A question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, because we need a break from the Rona. Every time I clear my throat or cough or sneeze, I always think that, oh boy, I, I coughed or cleared my throat or sneezed. I don't, I don't think it's the Rona, but seemingly, my Corona. Seemingly, everybody at the store, everybody at the store thinks it's the Rona. I did see a guy my age uh, at Menards last weekend, which is a, a like a lumber and hardware store here in the Midwest. That was wearing a Harry Potter face mask. And I was like, crap, I kind of like this panic now. I think I want me one of those masks. Anyway, three non-political questions on the Steve Day Show. First question is, what's on your Mount Rushmore of most overrated bands? Mount Rushmore of most overrated bands. Um, hmm. Queen is number one for me. You think Queen is overrated? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I think they're overrated. I, I think that to me, they're just rated. Um, I would say, you know what? I kind of think Aerosmith is overrated. I mean, for being around 40 years, can you have more than five or six great songs? And, and one of them was actually made better by an eighties rap group. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, uh, I would disagree. You would yeah, they got they got like five or six great songs. I don't think they're underrated either. I think I think they're just rated. I just I think they're one of those things that because they've just been around for so long, they're just given a position, you know, um, like that kid that uh, wasn't good at any sports, had no real great achievements and extracurricular activities, and was a mediocre student, but because he showed up for class every day, got a massive award just for showing up, you know. Uh, for perfect attendance Aerosmith strikes me as a bit of perfect attendance they've just been around for so long I mean they now, now the and maybe it's a little bit more than five or six but it's not that much more like there would for a band that's been around for 40 years they don't need a greatest hits volume two okay I think that's pretty is that is that at least safe to say yeah you would need a greatest hits volume two all right for a band that's been around for 40 years so I I'd put Aerosmith on the list even even though the songs that would be on the only necessary greatest hits album I like pretty much all of them but I just I I need more for being around for as long 
as they have been. So, so I would put Aerosmith on that list. Um, when I have them, should I sprinkle them in as we yes, go? Yes, you go ahead. You go ahead. Well, yes, I've got, I, I would put it, and I, I put this theory up. It's not that these aren't good bands. I, I think right. a lot of people just think they're so great, and no. So I would put Pink Floyd in there. I saw them in concert. I enjoyed it, but the whole for when we were growing up, it was just like Floyd. Man, no, I mean they're good, but they're just so uh, the Grateful Dead. I would dispute Pink Floyd mightily. Yes. I'm not saying they're not great. I, like I said, I'm, do, do you I, love them or hate them? I, 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 no, I, I love Pink Floyd. Okay. Yeah. yeah, just don't, they're not, they're, there's a cult of personality around could, them. That I do think under- you could say they're overrated in that The Wall was okay as a, most double albums are okay, but would be great as a single album, right? Like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, okay, from, from, um, Smashing Pumpkins, that would have been a great single album. As a double album, though, it's just kind of like there's a lot of stuff over here that's flyover country. Same thing is true of The Wall. But to me, even though I I get your argument, I'm not like offended at it, but in my view, they're responsible for one of the five or six greatest albums in the entire history of rock music, Dark Side of the Moon. And if you've got that on your resume where you can go on a concert tour and half of your concert is just playing all the songs from one album, mm-hmm. if you've got that on your resume, I cannot call you overrated, okay, even enough. though I kind of get your argument, okay? So it's that one, Grateful Dead. I'm totally with you on Grateful Dead. And I say this as a guy that kind of actually likes old school Grateful Dead music as a yeah. as a, as a Gen X conservative. I, yeah, I'm, settle down. I can do a little Uncle John's band, a little Casey Jones, you know, one more Saturday night, you know? But the idea that it's some kind of religious experience, yes. if I'm stoned enough, nah, I gotta, that's, I gotta put them on the list. I'm with you. For similar yeah. reasons, I would put Nirvana on there. Again. With you on that too. Settle down. Yep. I think I think Smells Like Teen Spirit might be the most overrated song of all time. I don't even think it's like one of their best songs. Like I think In Bloom's a far better song. I think Come As You Are is is or is is uh, maybe the best song they've ever done. And that was on the exact same album. In fact, I'll go over the top rope. Foo Fighters is a dramatically Dave Grohl on his that's, own is a dramatically better band than Nirvana ever was. So that's three I've got. And I've I've, got I would agree with. I've got Grateful Dead and Nirvana with you. I've got Aerosmith on mine, so I need one more. I've got Queen, Nirvana, Rolling Stones, and Radiohead. Yeah, I, the Radiohead I, thing, I don't I don't really get that either. So I'll go with you on that too. I'd fight you on the Stones. So. I got to fight you on the Stones too. I mean, I can see why you might think that they're overrated. But on the Mount Rushmore of overrated, again, you're talking about a band that's responsible for some of the most iconic songs in the entire history of this medium so i can't go there with it even though they should have retired 25 years ago when they're going on they were going to go on another tour this summer i don't know before the virus i mean what are they now in their 70s oh yeah if not they got to be yeah they're pushing the high end of 70 i mean it's impressive to some extent I mean, it's impressive that given what the amount That's, of toxins, I mean, yeah. there are, there are world war one soldiers who fought both battles of the Marne that if we dug up their bones and for toxins would not come close to the toxicity level in the bloodstream of Keith Richards right now. Not even this guy. Not, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And yet they continue on. Yeah. Um, we done with that question? Yes, I'm oh, done. Okay. Yeah. Uh, question number two. If you were given enough money to never need to work again, what three things would you spend your time doing? Um, 
um, I would mobilize a a take no prisoners um, rules for patriots approach political activist organization with that kind of money behind it. That'd be number one on my list. Number one thing I would do. Uh, number two thing that I would do, um, you guys are going to laugh at me. That's okay. I'll own it. I'd buy me a state-of-the-art Madden Cruiser and just go to like all the sporting events and stuff around the country I want to see. And never have to worry. I, do I have enough, though, for a private plane? If I do, I'd do that instead. It basically an endless, bottomless pit of Okay, money. well then, you know, I'll, I'll, take the, I'll take the private plane then and go that route. Yeah. I'll, 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 we'll go Madden Cruiser 2.0. I'm not going to travel by bus if, if I've got enough cash for my own private plane. So I'm bypassing TSAs and luggage lines and everything else, doing direct flights everywhere so it's a lot faster. Yeah. I'd be hitting all kinds of sporting events and stuff like that. I want to say, you know, have drivers waiting for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd do that. Um, and, and, and then I would put enough money in a revolving account. So it would roll over with interest that my descendants, if they meet certain benchmarks. And I, when I say that, I don't mean, um, they have to be carbon copies, but you know, have you, did you ever get a part-time job? Did you ever, you know, have to, you know, pay a rent? Did you do anything charitable? Did you serve in the church? You know, something like that. You know what I'm saying? That certain qualifications would have to be met like a an annuity kind of a thing after I'm gone. Sure. Certain qualify with what, with the money left over would have to be met that they could show on some kind of a human moral level, they were responsible for receiving uh, some of uh, grandpap's inheritance. Does that make sense? Yes. I do that rather than just blanketly handing money over. I mean, I need I need to know that this won't wreck you. I've seen too many families up close and personal, frankly, where even inheritances far less than what we're talking about basically destroyed the family. No freaking kidding. Yeah. So I, I would want to know that you've got an ability to actually be a functioning, well-adjusted adult first. Yeah. I don't think I'd have anything that original. It would be a lot of traveling. It would be dream house for my wife and it would definitely be a, along the lines of what uh, Steve said, if if not founding it myself or providing the wherewithal for the charitable organization that already exists, to, but it would be comprehensive worldview and, and have its hands in a lot of different areas. It, like earlier, we are talking about enough. We have a lot of organizations right now that, that, that absolutely do talk a great talk, but in terms of really walking the walk ultimately it's you know if you cannot get results anymore it it's time to shut up and go home and let somebody else try the endless talking is giving people the the sense that something's getting accomplished and it's not so it would somehow make encouraging helping the ability of the others to be efficacious in that regard well done. Um, mine would be, uh, I'd spend my time building a self-sustaining underground bunker uh, with all of the food and fuel somehow that I would ever need. 
Um, I still have details to work out on, you know, how I would get television and things like that. But uh, that's but what you're I hard at work at them. I'm, you know, I'm assured. Yes. Can yeah. I just say what's frustrating for me is that in light of the lockdown that we have, and it's turned everybody into an introvert and a shut-in. It's seemingly causing the actual introverts like Aaron not to reflect and say, I need to get out more. It's saying, no, I'm going deeper. No, the hole actually, will be dug deeper. N- no, I mean. <laughs> no, I want to get out more. I, I, want, I want to lick everything in public. Yeah, no, right? I, I just Good. need to know that I have the option to get out more. I mean, both my wife and I are introverts and we're... <laughs> We uh, we're looking forward to actually going to a movie again at some point. Uh, I would travel the world in a private jet. And then I said, I, I thought I was going to buy a state. But, you know, I've thought of a better idea along the lines of what uh, Todd was saying at the end there is uh, I would buy Twitter, uh, take the website down and all the legal documents that prove that I own Twitter. Actually, no, I just take their, I would just take their headquarters, get all the people out, of course, take their headquarters physically, go put it in a pit and like burn it. That's what I would do. You want to raise it? You I was to raise Twitter, R A Z Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question three: If you were to be cast as the lead actor in a remake of a Hollywood blockbuster, who would you be cast as in what movie? Oh man, I I can't imagine. Um, if we ourselves, just if I was going to get to act in the lead role, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. I I can't. I I can't. Um. I mean. I'll. I I can't, man. I'll do something that it's the. I'm just trying to think of all the great roles, but one that is the most, I don't mean, I don't want to do Todd, you and I in the Brokeback Mountain too. What? This is live, man. (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Okay, go back to the introvert thing. I told you, I want want to travel now and lick everything. I'm going nuts, man. I'm just appalled right now. (laughs) Oh, what was Broke Bat Mountain to the ginger years. What oh do you my, think? Yeah. No, no. Oh my. We we worked so hard to develop so much street cred in the last month. This show it's needs just to go gone. It's just gone. Gone. <laughs> Poof. There goes our subscribers. I, I have I have no idea. I don't think I don't know that I look like anybody. I I have no idea. I don't. Yeah. Ooh. What movie has a lead character who hurts somebody like Steve, who says, who said the thing he just said? That's, Here's, that's you know me. Uh, Michael Douglas's character in Falling Down. I will do that. But this time it'll be a docudrama, a real life story of one man who reaches the end and has had enough. That's the movie. All right. That's yeah, like yeah, stapler guy goes <laughs> yes. goes really. That yes. really, and the whole been, movie is just that it scene. Should have been called stapler guy. Yeah, it's just the whole movie is just that scene over and over again. He's just lighting the building on fire <laughs> over and over again. Yes, I think the one I have the cl- most like I kind of do like a movie like military leader because I didn't serve in the military. It feels wrong. Uh, to Gene Hackman in Hoosiers. I've oh yeah, I've I've coached a, a lot of high school ball. Uh, I coach a lot like. Gene Hackman, it's like, it's a privilege to be here. Either you want to be here or you don't. I don't, and I'm fine either way. So, yeah, there you go. 
as far as I go, I, I don't know. Uh, anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, here we go. National Treasure. Nick Cage. I could do that. That was a blockbuster. Okay. Our friends over at RidgeZone don't want you to end up like us. All right. That's why they want you to try the FDA, only FDA accepted product. That includes OEA. Now, why is that important to you? Because if you are struggling with all that grazing you're doing right now, all that uh, eating out of boredom we're doing right now, all right, uh, this, is, this is where OEA comes in. It's the naturally occurring molecule that helps you to feel full faster, burn stored fat while reducing your calorie intake at the exact same time. But here's the thing with Riduzone, you can only get it on their website. So you got to go to Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. And when you go there and use my name, Steve, as the promo code, you'll get up to 65% off. 65% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code Steve at riduzone.com. At some point, they may let us out of our homes, right? You don't want the big surprise to be those those extra 50 pounds you put on. So go to riduzone.com, promo code Steve. We're going to stick around and tape overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.